This is the Door History Podcast and my name is Naomi Clifford. Here at the door, we like to push the door, open the door, unlock the door, but our aim is to cast some light on hitherto unknown stories of women. Just try and balance things up a little bit. I'm here on London Bridge on a Sunday afternoon watching sheep being driven across from the south to the north side. Um, my cousin Barbara is a liveryman of the Worshipful Company of Gardeners and this gives her an ancient rite to do this and so this is the ceremony, sort of fundraising ceremony uh, every year. Um, she's a freeman of the City of London and that has got me thinking about the uh, businesswomen of, of the City of London, many of whom were freemen. Perhaps that's not something that is often appreciated, that you don't have to be a man to be a freeman. And uh, shortly I'll be going off to see an outdoor exhibition about such women in the 18th century. Uh, it's called City Women and um, it is looking at the business owners and the makers of the City of London who were women. I never actually made it to the exhibition on that day. It was too windy and rainy. So I went back a couple of weeks later on a slightly less rainy day in the company of Johnny Fielding, who is a freelance guide to the city of London and, and elsewhere in London. Um, his details are on our website. Uh, and we looked together, we looked at the outdoor boards about these very intriguing 18th century businesswomen. The exhibition was put together by Dr. Amy Erickson, who has done a lot of research in this area. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. These lovely boards with trade cards and maps and a whole load of information, highly recommended. It closes in about a week's time, but it will exist um, as a virtual exhibition. Uh, and the details of that are also on our website. So my name is Johnny uh, and I do walks around London called Bowl of Chalk which I've been doing for nearly eight years um, and it's just me on my own. Uh, I generally do completely non-thematic walks and just tell people things that I find interesting. So we're in an area um, which is just known as the City of London, which cross over there, yes. or, or the city. Um, it, it basically looks super, super, super modern but it's actually the oldest area of London. So it's, a lot of people find that kind of quite disconcerting. Um, it's where the Romans basically settled in 43 AD, so 2,000 years ago when Emperor Claudius came over, and they built uh, a walled, gated city. So the, some of the walls that date back to the year 200, bits of wall actually sort of still exist. Um, and the gates actually mostly now, they basically exist in names. So you've got, starting over by the tower, um, old gates, and then Bishop's Gate, Moorgate, um, Cripplegate, Aldersgate, Newgate and Ludgate. And that was basically Londinium. If you skip forward a thousand years, which you can 
do. It's become through a sort of series of spelling areas, uh, London, and it's run and it has become run on what's known as the guild system, which actually is kind of quite important in yes. terms of your women and how they, you know, the the kind of context that they were working in. And the, as far as I know, the guilds basically started off as sort of fraternities and trades and merchants. Uh, would congregate in sort of certain areas and it's split up into sort of wards. So in fact we're just actually heading towards what's known as the Cordwainers Ward, which is actually the shoemakers. Um, yeah, so they all basically would go, and I think a lot of it's sort of religious based as well, so they'd all go to a church, a local church, yes. and they have somewhere to meet. And they realised that basically they, they, they could control. It's all about control, really. Yes, it's about standards. It's not letting people in who are going to yeah. uh, so do the way standard work it's and bring modern, their modern, down. A modern day way of looking at it is um, sort of what we would think of like trade unions. Mm. So it controlled prices, hours, the amount of apprentices that could work. Um, and also stopped migrants from being allowed to work within city walls. Um, basically stop competition. Some people have argued that it actually yes, yes. economically was kind of bad because it stopped the progress mm -hmm. of industry and it actually only prospered the people who were running them. You know, and other people would say, well, you know, they've been around for like 900 years. So, so basically you did a sort of seven year apprenticeship and then you were allowed to become what we've been talking about as a freeman of the city and mm. you were allowed to work within the city walls. Um, and in the 18th century, is what the period that we're talking about um, is actually quite an interesting period because in 1666 the medieval city had burnt down and we're currently actually walking down Sheepside. Sheep is actually a medieval word for a market. In fact we're literally crossing over as we speak Bread Street. Um, so you've got Bread Street, Milk Street, Honey Lane, the whole area at the bottom where we're heading is called Poultry. Uh, so this was literally a market area and although this looks super modern it's actually a sort of medieval street pattern and it's still full of shops they you know they're not the highest end shops no but they they are uh there's a very commercial area yeah just as it was for our cheap side business women yeah and this was a super luxury street yes. it was a massively wide street and in fact i think prior to the great fire the cheap side had been like the most elegant incredible uh, street with the, the you know the, the buildings getting higher wider as they go up and uh, yeah and, uh, I can it, and then they, when they rebuilt it it still it still was and I can see that there are lots of uh, signs sticking out from the buildings mm -hmm. um, showing people what the shops were yeah and signs were, were very important for um, uh, bringing customers customers yeah. in and, and the, the cards the trade cards yeah. mention at the sign of yeah. whatever and in literature people often meet and sign I think um, one of the big things is illiteracy and uh, visual, you need really really strong visual aid yes. and actually yes. lots of the prior to the 18th century lots of the, the street signs were actually 3D and they were big they've got some in the Museum mm. of London sort of big wooden uh, structures basically and you had one and then your your shop next door had one that was even bigger and then the person next to them had one that was even bigger and I've actually read accounts of like entire I mean this was like timber frame buildings at the time literally just collapsing under the weight of signs and oh, they had to bring in that's a, quite something so, and people or if you were you know going on a horse along you get knocked off mm. um, so as you can see actually we just walked past a, a picture um, which showed an 18th century view of this street mm -hmm. Cheapside 
there's loads and loads of signs, but they're all square, you know, a bit more subdued yes. signs. But yes. nevertheless, still have a pictorial. Yes, because thing at this time, most people could not read. It yes. was quite unusual to be able to read. Yeah. And here we are in Paternoster Square looking at the boards uh, here, the three of them. Um, one of them is on Mary and Anne Hogarth, whose beautiful train card was designed by William Hogarth, their brother. They were milliners. So I'd always been under the assumption that uh, milliners made hats. But Me too, from having yeah. been reading these things, it seems that they they were basically sort of textile manufacturers generally. They, they well, they were they were retailers, I think. Um, and so they got bolts of cloth in, and they made they they had services to make certain things. And I've got a bit here. It's actually I'll read out what's on their card. Um, Mary and Anne Hogarth from the old frock shop, the corner of Long Walk facing the cloisters, they've removed to the King's Arms near uh, Little Britain, and I'll just cut this a bit. They made <laughs> ready-made frocks, suits of fustian, ticken and holland, not quite sure what they are, striped dimity and flannel, waistcoats, blue canvas frocks, and blue coat boys' drawers. And they were for the Christ Hospital, which was nearby. It's moved out to towards Horsham, I think, now. But, um, it was there for centuries, I think. Yeah, it, it was, it? yes. They, they took 200 pupils, mostly boys, not exclusively, though. Um, so they, they really uh, were quite broad in, in what they sold. They, they would have sold sewing notions and well, as well, you know. So do you know whether they also were making the stuff in their premises at the same, same time? My understanding, and I might be wrong, um, is that they had a shop in the front. Yeah. They would have had a workshop type thing in the back and they would have lived above. So most of these businesswomen and makers uh, lived on the premises yeah. of their shops and they I believe they would have had some sort of workshop in the in the back or certainly storage rooms and so rather than it being cottage industries like townhouse industry yes I think so and sometimes they just assembled their goods so the yeah. fan makers were not actually making fans they were buying in bits of fans and perhaps employing women to put them together yeah. and then sell and talking about the Hogarth sisters, mm. obviously I think there's a Hogarth exhibition that's just started. I think he was very much based in what we call the West End around Covent Garden, which mm. was actually a really mm. run-down, horrendous mm. area. Yes, that was not happening around here. No, was, no, this was where the money was. Yeah. Um, that hasn't changed at least. <laughs> so we've come now to the board about the Sleeps, three sisters, uh, Esther, Martha and... Mary, I think. Yes. Um, they were the daughters of a fan maker who had 15 children. So their mother had, had to cope with 15 children and run a, a fan making shop. And they were freemen of the City of London. Um, and at this time, you did not, I think still actually, you don't have to do the occupation of the guild that you join. But it still allows you to be able to work in yes, the city. Yes, yes. And you have to pay father to join these livery companies. Quite a substantial amount um, to en enable you to trade. Yes, you can't trade unless you join. 
So in terms of fan making, and obviously there's, there's quite a lot of, I've read quite a lot of stuff about people making fans, obviously there's a whole fan museum, I think down in, in Greenwich. <laughs> what, what, do you know what they were being used for? What kind of... Well, know? fans were the absolute accessory for the 18th century woman. Okay. They were, they, you couldn't really go out without your fan. Yeah. Um, and they had all sorts of meanings in the way that they were used, you know, open or shut, or you know, some of the designs on them are, are quite extraordinary. They, they but were, they, they were a luxury item that you could not. And they were like without. sort of uh, almost like a small canvas in itself. Like some of the pictures I've seen, oh, are really unbelievably detailed. Yes, so. absolutely amazing. I've, I've seen a wonderful one with the map of London on it, which yeah. is I really covered actually. Um, so fan making uh, fans were essential. Mm. To your, to your costume, really. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't really, you know, anything to do with your heart. It's literally you, you go out with your fan. Yes. And then you're yes. seen with your yes. fan. Yes. I mean, you can cover yeah. your face with your fan, yeah. or you yeah. can flutter your fan, or, yeah. or you can just be hot and fan yourself. Yeah. Um, but Cheapside was able to support a number of fan shops, um, including these three. They, these. The sisters had fan shops at, at uh, regu- uh, they were spaced out on Cheapside, so they all operated at the same time. Um, Martha uh, never married, she was the one who never married, and um, she traded for at least 35 years in, uh, in St Paul's churchyard. Um, but Esther, who had six children of her own, she, had, she bore nine children, she, uh, six surviving, one of her daughters was Fanny Burney, the novelist. Um, Fanny Burney never mentions fans, even though it's quite a strong tradition in her family. And she's got the name word fan in her. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never thought of that. Um, so Fanny, Fanny Burney... She had enough of fans, by the way. <laughs> she had plenty of fans. Yeah, she did, indeed. She never mentioned fans in any of her novels. Possibly she was not that proud of coming from a line of oh, fan makers. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and she did go on to be a lady-in-waiting to the Queen, so she may have wanted just to sort of rub over her, her trade uh, origins. Yeah. But Esther Sleep ran this uh, business um, before she was married, at a very young age, early 20s. Then she married, then she traded in her married name, Bernie. Um, and uh, she died in her 30s after leaving the city. Um, but uh, at one point, well, for quite a long time, she, made, she brought more money into the family than her, her husband did, Charles Burney. Uh, but she certainly was a, a very successful businesswoman, and her sisters were too. So obviously we've been looking at a number of women who were uh, working and they run their own businesses in the city. Uh, and then we've obviously seen their trade cards. Some of them are married, some of them aren't married. Do the married ones use their husband's name or yes. change their name or do they use their own name? They so use their husband's name. Mm. Uh, so they, yes, and if they marry someone who is a member of a livery company, uh, they trade under his license or, or his credentials. Yeah. But what is interesting is that although they could be freemen, uh, they did not take any part in the admin of the guilds themselves. Yeah. So they were, they were not involved in any of the boards or, or courts um, running running the show. Yeah. They were they were only the traders. Well, I think like next month is going to be like the eight hundred and fourth 
Lord Mayor's Parade. Oh, right. And, you know, I, I think they've had like over 700 Lord Mayors of the City of London and with only two female ones. Yes, And both yes. of those come within my lifetime, one in the 1980s and then I think she's called Fiona mm. Wolfe, was a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, and also I was going to mention about the fact that you, you even called the women... Freeman. Y- yes. In fact, they, they uh, yeah. are still still today. They are still Freeman. 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 Yes, they are still women. Freeman. No, yeah. no, no. They're Freeman. They're honorary men. So in that respect, mm. you know, they are not standing in their own right. I suppose you know no. they're not recognised as women as such, but they are permitted to take part. Yeah. Which you know, in the 18th century, when we have this idea that women were just um, at home doing domestic things, the yeah. so-called sort of domestic sphere, actually they were in the world. I think perhaps more than we have recognised or more than we have assumed. Yeah. Um, they, the, they may not have been in the professions, but they were certainly active in business and, and in employment uh, all over. And also the other thing I was thinking, having, having a look at these, I mean, obviously we're in an area where there's lots of high-end sort of, sort of hats, luxury mm-hmm. goods, mm-hmm. textiles, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's not the, the sort of classic male-dominated... Trades, no. but I mean, I'm sure they. You know, I don't know whether there would have been some in, in working in those as well. But uh, yes, they were uh, women tr- trunk makers and silversmiths, mm-hmm. and um, there was a woman who was making the labels for bottles of wine and port. Yeah, you know, those silver things on 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 chains. So um, no, definitely uh, women and printmakers are here. I think nearby here, there's one who's uh, who printed books. We should uh, probably mention, because yeah, yes. we're in St Paul's Churchyard, yes. um, this was a huge book publishing mm. area and in fact just a short distance, just behind Vidal Sassoon down oh, right. there is the Stationers Okay, well. yes, so, yes, yes. So this was a lot of Yes, I, I must admit, I really wish that they, all those booksellers... And so we're on uh, Cheapside, Northside. Near Poultry. Near Poultry. Um, and we're looking at one of the boards about Eleanor Code, who um, lived a long life, much of it in uh, commerce. She did very well in her business. Um, her mother may have been a, a wool merchant, her father was certainly a wool merchant, but her mother may have been one too. Um, and she came to be trading in Cheapside in the middle of the 18th century. Um, and she is quite well known, Eleanor Code. She uh, joined a business that made artificial stone. Did she, um, did she buy the business? Did she actually own the business? I don't know how she came into the business. I imagine she would have put some money in in order to join. Out of all these women, Eleanor Code is the only one I'd ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And I came across her. You know, I was saying about. Um, just finding stuff out like in, in a sort of mm-hmm. not organic way yes, yes. and there's a, a big statue of a lion on the south end of Westminster Bridge that's right that's one uh, of that's codestone which is made out yes. of codestone and then also uh, so it's an artificial stone that's the idea yes immensely hard wearing and weatherproof so it hasn't deteriorated as natural stone has uh, or can do um, and for a long time, the recipe for the stone was lost. And I think in the last 20 years, it's been rediscovered, or they've discovered how to make it again. And I understand there's, um, there's a, a, a business down in Hampshire that is 
now turning out Codestone again. Well, I think quite a lot of uh, the stuff that she produced or her company produced still is in existence. Oh, and I think she like little bits on Buckingham Palace and yes. elsewhere. Well, and the Royal Naval Hospital at Greenwich, there's yeah. some of her, her Codestone there. Um, Bedford Square in Bloomsbury has yeah. some. And in fact, it went all over the world. Canada, the US, Brazil, Caribbean, Russia, Poland. So uh, this amazing substance which she helped to promote, which she um, worked on with um, numerous others, is uh, made a huge contribution to architecture. She worked with Robert Adam, John Nash, so you know, really significant woman. And as you say, you know, she she's the one you had heard of. Yeah. Perhaps perhaps because her the her products were in such prominent places. Yeah. They were part of I suppose, you know, the part of a more male world than well, our milliners, for well, instance. It, it also the other thing I think is in, interesting in terms of these four, these women that we're talking about is that I, I was reading about the lion, I then learned that it was made out by something called code stone. And I was like, "What's Code Stone?" Then I looked up Code Stone, and I was like, "Hang on, this is a this is this is a woman, um, a business run by a woman mm. who's owned by a woman." Mm. And in the 18th century, it just seemed very, very unusual, which is why I think that really stuck, and I just yes. found it quite interesting. Yes. And that did seem like, particularly buildings, architecture, stone, a very male-dominated yes. area yes. Of, of business. Absolutely, and she she must have been quite formidable to stick oh, yeah. at it. And she, yeah. you know, she uh, she didn't marry. Hang on. Excuse us. Uh, so where were we? Yeah, so uh, Eleanor Code, Code not marrying. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really, just observing these these women, reading about them, a, a significant number did not marry. Um, we don't know the reasons, for, the personal reasons for that. But it, I, from where I'm standing, it could be that they didn't want to hand over control of their business to anyone else. Um, they like life as it is, and uh, they, they, you know, they, they um, were just happy to uh, to continue without without a man being involved. Yeah. Um, and they were busy women, and perhaps if they married and had children, they would have to be like. Poor Mrs. Sleep with her 15 children running the fan shop. Yeah, totally. Got another ambulance coming. You come to the end of our podcast. My name is Lena Augustenson and I'm the producer. And I am Naomi Clifford, history writer. All details of this episode are on our website, thedoorpodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media, on Facebook. On Twitter, we are at The Door Podcast. You can subscribe to us as well. And uh, on any of the platforms that we're on, just follow the links. You can also sign up for a newsletter on our website, which will tell you when the next episode drops. And yeah, I think that's it. That is it. Yes. Yes.